With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Ahoy Mets fans, welcome back to Amazing Avenue Audio, the show. My name is Brian, with me, as always, is Chris. We are in the top of the eighth inning. The Mets are winning 10 nothing, but it's all likely for naught because the Mets appear to have be on the verge of elimination just a few minutes from now while the uh, while the brave the Braves look at me while <laughs> the Brewers are about to win and therefore delete the uh, the last chance the Mets would have of a of a playoff berth. I can't say this is unexpected. I don't think anyone could say that, but it's still kind of a bummer. Chris, how are you feeling about the end of the Mets season right now? Yeah, I. No part of me wanted to be right about it, and I don't think I was uh, in this mood at the time of the fifteen and one stretch, or even the the resurgent September stretch that they had. But if you had asked me to go somewhere where sports betting is legal and put a significant amount of money on just straight up yes or no, will the Mets make the postseason? I would have said no. And it was just the logical way to go with it. Um, I was all in on, on buying into it and having fun with it. And I'm glad we did. It was kind of nice to get a playoff atmosphere at City Field for a little while there in early August. Uh, you know, as a fan, there's there's nothing wrong with enjoying when your team is doing crazy things like that. And the the fact that they're at 9.35 Eastern time uh, on September 25th on a season that ends uh, in a season that ends on the 29th, right? Yes. Sunday? Yes. Yeah. Uh, they are still right now for a few more minutes mathematically mm-hmm. alive. I don't think we could have ever dreamed of that in in June. I mean, maybe even April or May. Um, I know the season got off to a pretty good start, and Alonzo and McNeil have been good from the you know from the get go. Um, but yeah, it's kind of wild that it got to this point. But since they didn't do what the Brewers did in September, I think we're they're not like ripping our hearts out to do this now it this is sort of the expected outcome uh once it got to really i think once they fell five games back the first time i know they got a little bit closer but once that happened it was kind of like all right yeah and we, we were talking before the podcast started about how it's somewhat depressing for this to be happening right now but in a way, it's better to happen now than to happen on Saturday or Sunday. Because that's just, that's so close. And that just feels 
more gut-wrenching than this. This is somewhat of an expected outcome. And while it's still a bummer, it's not a shock. And, uh, you know, I, I'm i going to be writing about this later this week for the site, but I can't help but look at this season still as being successful. Do you... Is that a term you would use for this season as well? I think it's one that people get touchy about. I mean, there are people who who will be like, "Ah, oh, I know nothing is a success. Nothing is a success unless uh, unless they win the World Series." That kind of angle on things, or at least make the postseason. But I think it it makes sense in a way where you go, "Okay, you you really know what they have, and what they have, there's a lot of really good, and it shouldn't be that hard to complement that really good." part of the roster that they have and be this second half kind of team in perpetuity uh, next year or the year after that. So I think in that sense, it is a successful season. Hopefully it feels like 2005 uh, Mm -hmm. in hindsight of, okay, this started to come together, didn't work out in September, even though this September has been a whole lot better than the 2005 version. Yeah, for those um, that don't remember that that month, it was rough. Yeah, they they got to the end of August. They were within either a game or a half a game or, or something around there, some very close uh, proximity to the wild card spot. At the time, there was only one. I feel old saying that phrase. <laughs> yep. Having to explain because there could definitely be somebody listening who didn't know baseball before two wild cards. It's funny because I still think of the wild card, one, being a relatively new addition to the baseball landscape, let alone yep. two. <laughs> um, so, yeah, back, back in our day of 2005. But, <laughs> but yeah, that, it was sort of the prelude to... 2006 being a dominant season. I think the one parallel you could draw, uh, it's dreaming a little bit, I guess, to think of anything that the Mets will spend money on when they're already clearly making it known through, uh, I mean, they, they were doing it last off season too, but there is already stuff out there about luxury tax and, you know, blah, blah, blah. I mean, they, they cited how expensive the insurance premiums were on contracts, even though they were getting tons of money back. Like, we know how this all works. But if I'm thinking, and we'll, we'll delve into all this more in the off season. but if I'm thinking of another, like, 2005 parallel, it would be correcting the guy they, they fucked up the Carlos offseason Delgado prior. Yeah. yeah. Going, so in that case, go and get Delgado. Uh, in this case, and I'm not a Wilson Ramos hater by any means, but Yasmani Grandal had a fantastic season for the Brewers. Uh, it's a mutual option situation that he's got there. Uh, the Mets were negotiating with him, and, and I think he left with a bad taste in his mouth and signed a much shorter-term deal in, in Milwaukee. But, hey... Go out and correct that. I'm not saying that's the top priority move or or the only way to get better, but if they were to do that, it would give me even more of that that like, ooh, this feels uh, kind of familiar. Yeah, at the um, 
at the pot of their own meetup slash auction, I mean raffle rather, uh, on Saturday, we recorded a live podcast and uh, we were asked everyone in the room, what's the one move we would do if, you know, for this off season. And we, we sort of said that the bullpen was off limits. Like obviously they're upgrading the bullpen. So what else would you do? And my, my suggestion was a, a backup catcher. And I don't know if Grandal becomes the backup to Ramos. But Probably you, not. But but if you had it, those two guys sharing time, right? I mean that that that's an incredible catching tandem right there. Oh yeah. It, well rested, take advantage of platoon uh, situations. If I recall, Grandal's platoon split is opposite of I, Ramos's. I, I believe that's correct. Yes. Yeah, I think Grandal kills righties, which is the the side you'd prefer to have. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, it, it's, it's definitely an interesting idea, Yeah. but, uh, one of the reasons that I want to call the season, okay, hang on. I just want to alert everybody. X-rays reveal a broken bone for Jeff McNeil, a right distal ulnar fractal fracture. So he's out for the rest of the season. Yep, his season is over, and his team is a strike away from joining him. <laughs> yep. Uh, but while they're still mathematically alive, what else do, do yeah. we have? Any? <laughs> well, what do we have? Well, what I was going to say was, you know, the reason that I feel this season was successful is is a few things. First of all. Going into the season, there were so many things that we were unsure of as a fan base. We were unsure if McNeil was for real. We were unsure what we had with Pete Alonso. We were unsure um, if Seth Lugo was going to continue his dominant ways out of the bullpen. We were unsure about uh, Nimmo to a certain degree. We were uh, unsure about Rosario to a certain degree. Almost all of those questions have been answered in the affirmative and and in a really resounding way, saying, yes, Rosario is a better hitter than he was last year. Yes, Alonso is every bit the masher we hoped he would be. Yes, McNeil is a 320 at worst hitter, it looks like. You know, he came to back down to earth after his injury, but, you know, he's he's just a, a truly special hitter. Everybody that we want from the Mets to... Every question we had going into this season... From a homegrown player perspective, I think was answered better than we had hoped. Oh yeah, well it's funny. Um, I think I think it was on the Amazing Avenue account, account either last night or earlier this morning. I had tweeted something about them had not uh, the Mets having not done enough, uh, and you still get some. Mets fans who will be like, no, no, like they, they did this and that, and like who could have seen bad things coming and and all that, but they got best case outcomes from Alonzo and McNeil, um, Conforto probably. Yeah, no, Conforto's had a very good year. Rosario's really come into his own, especially in the second half. A whole lot of things went right. Uh, I know Syndergaard wasn't his, you know. Typically, uh, very, very good self. He was a little bit in the middle there. but um, And DeGrom, who started the season off relatively 
cold for DeGrom turned it around into an amazing finale. Right. So they had a whole lot of things go right. Uh, and yet, here they are. Here they are mathematically eliminated. Yes. So Pour one out for the Mets. It, I mean, it's, to your point, it's great to have these things because that should encourage uh, ownership in the front office to do things that will put it all... Uh, put it all in a better place to start next season. Yes. And, you know, you can only hope that McNeil's injury is not so serious that he's questionable for spring. And you can only hope that Jed Lowry doesn't find himself in a full body cast come the spring. And, <laughs> you know, there's just, there are a lot of little things like that, that if this team comes back with 80% of its pieces there, offensively, they're going to have a hell of a season next year. Look at J.D. Davis. I yeah. Mean, oh, yeah. He should have been in the that list that I was rattling off. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> I mean, we were, I think I can speak for Amazing Avenue. We're saying we didn't like that trade. Right. You know, and uh, collectively, there was a lot of shit all over that trade. And, I mean, nobody predicted J.D. Davis would be what he is right now. Yeah, no, we were very wrong, and that's yeah. fine. That's, no, it's that's great. Good. <laughs> it's, it's fantastic. Um, you know, there's just there are so many reasons to be hopeful for next season with minimal stuff done, and that was the other point. If you guys have listened to a part of their own already, you've already heard me say this, but we went around the room, and all these different folks were giving their reasons or their their one move for the Mets to make, and it was always you know it was bullpen, it was. Uh, you know, go after Garrett Cole was, you know, sign, uh, offer Wheeler a, uh, a qualifying offer. You know, there were just these, these little, these moves that were all very modest in terms of what you would want to do to put your team over the top. Nobody was saying trade for Mike Trout, you know, it was all very doable stuff. And the fact that the Mets are in a position where they have doable options for their, to put them really into it, it, I, there's no such thing as certain playoff contention. I'm not going to say that. But to put them into a much sturdier ground for playoff contention, they can do it relatively cheaply and relatively easy, easily. And they probably have to make some trades this offseason of surplus talent offensively. There, there's just no way that J.D. Davis and Dom Smith can have a role in this team next year. Yeah. And that breaks my heart because I like Dom. But, you know, it it just seems like they have to get rid of one of those guys, you know. Now that you know Rosario is for real and you know that McNeil is more for real, I mean, I don't think you can tri- I don't think you can get anything for Jed Lowry. But if anybody wants no. to give you something for Jed Lowry, you take that, you know. Um Sure, yeah. They're they're just they they have to they have to figure out what the offensive core of this team is gonna look like going forward. Um But again, they can do all of this. There there is not an insurmountable number of obstacles they have to overcome. They need and and I, I would hope just based on past performance and the way that relief pitchers work, you have to believe that Edwin Diaz and Jerry's familia will be better than this next year. That said, spend some fucking money on the bullpen and don't rely on those guys having to be better. <laughs> you know? Um 
because it's probably the case that Justin Wilson and Seth Lugo won't be this good next year. So, you know, you just, you have to, you have to prepare for everything. And, uh, but I, I, I am, I am far more optimistic at the end of this season than I thought I would be a few months ago. Cause this team does look like it's, uh, like it has, like it has a bright future ahead of it. And I think the best news of all is the National League East isn't, isn't that tough right now. It's tough, but it's not. It has been worse for the Mets in the past. This is a winnable division right now with a little bit of improvement. So get on it, Wilpons. Yep. Speaking of the Wilpons getting on something, I think you and I are among the, uh, the, the thousands, if not millions, that are hoping that this Sunday the Wilpons get on with it and fire... Mickey Calloway as the <laughs> Mets manager. Um, you know, I don't think we, we want to be the types of fans who are necessarily always shitting on the manager, even though I feel like I've been that guy for quite some time now. Um, but this season has really shown that Calloway has to go. And there's nothing. I have not heard a cogent argument for keeping him around. I don't think you can look at his in-game decisions and think that they're very good. I don't think you can look at how he handled the clubhouse in the light of the Vargas-Tim Healy incident and say he handles the clubhouse very well. Uh, Clearly, he has not earned the trust of Brody Van Wagenen, as Van Wagenen is making a lot of the calls himself for various things, um, or or having his deputies do that. Um, So so there's really no reason that I can see to keep Mickey Calloway around. Do you see any reason why Calloway should manage the 2020 Mets? Uh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Is that, that too cold? No, no, not at all. I, I agree with you. What was the worst? I mean, sorry, sorry, go ahead. Then I'll ask the question. Well, no, no, I, I don't know if I have an answer for that one off the top of my head, but, it's just been last year you could go, okay, he's new to managing at all. He's learning. And then he just came to this year and you're like, Oh, he didn't learn. And I know it can be easy to, to blame a manager and, uh, kind of make him the scapegoat and, and everything. But he, he didn't learn from those mistakes last year. And I think what was most disappointing about that wasn't even, well, I guess the baseball part and the actual not learning is probably the most disappointing. But (laughs) (laughs) he had reacted to some of those things in a way where it was like, okay, he's talking to the press. He knows he made a mistake and he's going with a PR strategy of not admitting it and you know he's he's doing that to protect his player or protect himself or whatever but then we came into this season and it's like oh no he 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 actually meant that like <laughs> that that to me was the most discouraging thing about this season with him uh no manager's going to make the right move every time and i i know 
people can get frustrated with managers if they have a perception that this manager is being too robotic in his decision making. I know that's like a Girardi uh, criticism that had been out there, but as a as a guy who's managing players and egos and all that, he seems to be fine. I, I don't think there have been many reports of terrible chemistry or players not being in his corner, that kind of thing. But the in-game management has been questionable. Um, I mean, I, just just to, to somewhat push back against that, don't you think that the whole Tim Healy incident and the way he didn't handle that and the fact that DeGrom had to come out and speak on behalf of the team, doesn't that point somewhat to his uh, his lack of managing egos? Uh, yeah, I was good. <laughs> so the, that incident was was coming okay Okay. sorry but no you're i mean your point is valid about the you know about that about managing egos i guess jason vargas has just been gone long enough that i've forgotten he was ever here (laughs) and and that like that was enough but but i was still thinking of that incident so you just take the in-game management um i guess Overall, there there hasn't been like a, the players are going to revolt. They hate Mickey Galloway kind of thing. Um, we know the lineups were probably dictated more by the front office than Calloway himself. And at times have not been ideal. Uh, but to the extent that he has input on them, you, you'd like to hope that you could see better. Um, I don't really know if that was in his control or not. But you just you add all that up and then you throw in the blow up with Tim Healy and the non-apology, like the explicit non-apology followed up a couple hours later by an apology and an an explanation that he really meant to apologize. And and even the apology was not super apologetic. (laughs) Yeah. What was the, um, Oh geez. Baseball historians will kill me for not, um, remembering, Damn it. Yankees fired, rehired manager. Billy Martin? Yes, thank you. It's a name I should remember, but yeah, he he gives the weird apology and then cites it like Billy Martin uh like punched a reporter in the face or something. Whatever yeah. <laughs> whatever the specifics were of what he said, he's like, "Ah, it's just baseball, you know, Billy Martin hit a guy in the face." And and uh yeah. I don't know. I don't... Him saying that is citing like the absolute craziest example. <laughs> right. You know, well, at least I didn't do that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's like saying, you know, uh, I don't know. I, I can't even think of an example. I can't even think of another profession that has an example like that. You know, it's like, uh, you know, if, if somebody was a football player and like, well, at least I didn't kill my wife and her new boyfriend, like citing O.J. Simpson as the as the right. worst behavior. Who would do that? Well, right. Mickey Callaway would do that, apparently. Yeah, I can picture Callaway. Look, I could have body slammed Tim Healy, okay, but I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, look at me. I've got a nice beard. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think he's incapable I, because I think the roster ultimately can make or break any manager. So if the Mets went out and said, what luxury tax and signed. I mean, it, it, we're, I 
I know reality here. I'm not saying this is happening, but if they went out and they were like Grendel, Cole, Rendon, uh, and two or three bullpen arms who are just decent, capable major league relievers, you know, you don't need, and, and the free agent class isn't really going to allow um, you to go out and get a bullpen that's going to look like uh, what the Yankees have had. Right. For instance. So, but if they went out and did all that, I think you could throw that team out there with Mickey Calloway managing, and that team could do some serious damage. But let's just let me just make a point here, okay? So, the 2020 payroll obligations as of right now are 140 million. The estimated luxury tax threshold for next year is 208 million. Yeah. The Mets would have to add $68 million in 2020 salary right. to, to hit the luxury tax threshold. And even when you factor in arbitration raises, some of which are significant, but even when you factor them in, that that's all you'd really have to work to get there. I mean, look, they're not going to sign Rendon. As much as that is the big league move to make, they're not going to do it. They're just they're, they, With Cano on the roster, they're not going to do it. And they're not getting Cano off the roster. Because if you have Cano on the roster, you, Cano has to play second base at this point. With Pete Alonso hitting the way he is, he has to play second base. There is no place else for Cano to play. If Cano is playing second base, that means McNeil is playing third or left. If McNeil is playing third or left, that means Conforto is playing center or right. Hopefully they're not going to have him playing center, but who knows. Um, and then you have J.D. Davis. You have... Hopefully, you went a Cespedes, you have Jed Lowry. There's no way they're going after Anthony Rendon, even though that's right. the, that's the best free agent on the market. He he fixes them at third base forever. You're not doing that. So right. Garrett Cole is the big guy, right? Garrett Cole's not going to cost you forty million dollars a year, right now. And I I like Zach Wheeler. I know sometimes I can be uh, maybe a little down on him, but I like him. But he's not Cole. It's no. not even close. And I know the Astros have done some pretty crazy things with pitchers who they've gotten, but I also don't think that Garrett Cole would leave the Astros and just forget what worked for him for the last three years right. as one of the best pitchers in baseball. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, but I think Callaway can... It, is not incapable of taking a great roster and, and just letting it do its thing. But I don't think he's the right guy. And I think given the realistic scenario of what the Mets might do this winter, then you, you can't keep him around. Um, I think he's especially, not going to sorry to interrupt Chris, especially since he's not Brody's guy. Right. Yeah. And if you're looking at a team that you, what coming into the season, the Mets were saying that their internal projections had them at 92 wins or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. And they could they could get within a few wins of that. Still, I mean, they could still. It doesn't matter now, but they could right. still finish the season with a few more wins and they could finish and end with, up. Let's see, they they won they won their 83rd game just a minute ago. So they, they could finish with 87. Yeah. I don't know if they will, but the Braves are all banged up and trying to get healthy for the playoffs that aren't that far away. Right. So conceivably, they could they could end at 86, 87 wins. Um, 
and they can go, oh, that that wasn't that far off from the projection. Um, not that I expect them to say that out loud, although you never know. But <laughs> uh, you can't take a team that is projected somewhere around that that point and give it a manager who is anything other than excellent at the job. So, yeah, I don't know. I feel like I'm being too nice. I like I want Callaway gone. I'm I'm ready to move on. Uh, but yeah. I mean, I, I won't be nice. I think he's a terrible manager. He seems to be a <laughs> shitty person in the way he won't accept responsibility for his actions. He's, uh, you know, yeah, I, I'm I'm all for getting rid of Mickey Calloway. I don't care. He, there you uh, go. You know, he's to me, the, the biggest thing is the absolute inability to admit he's wrong. And I know, <laughs> I'm going to choose my words very carefully here. I know that the current political climate means you never have to admit you're wrong. Mm-hmm. But that's bullshit. That's not how the world works. That's not how workplaces work. You know, if if my boss expected something of me and I flat out failed at doing it and he said, you messed up, and I said, yeah, but the process was good and I do it 100 times out of 100, I'd be fired. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that, that's not how the world works, Mickey Calloway, you know? Right. Um, no, I only I only look at the uh, the analytics 15% of the time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that that was part of that same yeah thing yeah to, to, yeah to me that's that is the truly unforgivable part of his managerial tenure and uh you know he's somehow got worse this year even with a bench coach that knows the national league he got worse even with a better team he got worse uh and the thing i will never understand and i know it's a different skill set I don't know how a pitching coach can be so fucking bad at managing a bullpen. Yeah. Yep. And I, again, <laughs> it's not the same exact thing, but I, I just don't know how it happened. Um, yeah, no, I wish, I wish I had something more to add to that other than exasperated agreement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Well, let's do this. Let's let's focus on the two bright spots for the rest of this year. Uh, one of them, unfortunately, is probably done for the year, and that's Jacob Degrom. I guess there's a chance they throw him Sunday, right? Yeah, I mean, they Callaway had said that they, if they were mathematically alive, he will definitely pitch something on Sunday. I'd be kind of shocked now if they do, um, especially since I mean Ryu could go out and have a start that's good enough that he stays in the the ERA lead but if Ryu I think DeGrom is the favorite to win the Cy Young anyway but if Ryu um, goes out there and doesn't even get shelled but just has his ERA go up over DeGrom's then it's sort of like just leave it be that that you know DeGrom has the best ERA in the National League um, leads and strikeouts etc it 
leave that as the case. Uh, and even even given the current circumstances, I wouldn't I wouldn't pitch him again. No. So the the ERA competition as of right this second, um, Ryu has a two point four one ERA, and Degrom ended tonight with a two point four three ERA. Yeah. So unless Ryu goes and throws a shutout, it's going to be very close. And when is Ryu scheduled to pitch? Is the real question. Um, I think on the broadcast they said this weekend, which is kind of vague. Right. I mean, the Dodgers aren't really. Uh, let's find out. But the Dodgers aren't really playing for anything, right? I think they did. They already locked up the best record in the National League at I this point. I believe so. Yes. Yeah, I'd be shocked if they didn't. At the rate things were going. Um. Ryu pitches. So beyond beyond tonight and tomorrow, it's all TBD. He does face the Giants, who are terrible. I don't know which day this weekend, but even if he finishes that slight bit ahead of DeGrom and ERA, the innings difference is massive. Well, that's the big thing, isn't it? I mean, let's take a look at this. He has so far thrown... When, uh, Ryu is throwing 175 innings. Let's see what Jacob DeGrom has thrown. Jacob DeGrom thus far has thrown 197 innings. So it's it's a 22-inning uh, differential for a .02 ERA difference. Um Ryu's record is thirteen and five before this weekend. Degrom's will be eleven and eight, I believe, with tonight's win. Uh, not that pitching wins should matter, but of course they do in these circumstances. Uh, Degrom has two hundred and forty-eight strikeouts. Ryu has one hundred and fifty-six strikeouts. Uh, Degrom walked forty-three batters this year. Ryu walked twenty-four. That's that's a big difference there, but again. 22 less innings. Um, yeah. DeGrom's ERA plus is 162. And that, uh, and that was coming into tonight. Exactly. The... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's 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 a tight race. I, I'm not trying to take away from Ryu. And if Ryu gets it, it's not a travesty in terms of, you know, somebody really who didn't deserve it getting the award. But DeGrom seems to be the, the front runner right now. And back-to-back side, in, in an organization that has been built on pitching since the very beginning, there have never been back-to-back Young before for the Mets. Yeah. Yeah, no, that that is pretty crazy. And in a sport that values um, round benchmark-style numbers, I feel like 200 innings is sort of a requirement in a way, um, you know, for Cy Young winners. I'm actually curious to see if anybody's won it. You listen to us browse baseball reference. <laughs> exactly. The, tra- <laughs> the tradition continues. Yes, it does. Um, but I-, I feel like that 200 inning mark matters a lot. Um, I know in the American League, it's that'll be less of a factor because more guys got there. Um, but among the best pitchers, in the National League, that very few even will finish at that point. Strasburg, I think, either already got there or he'll be there 
if he gets um, he's got one start left, I think. Um, but his ERA isn't nearly I should, as good. I should say I, I listed Degrom's in his pitch at 197. That is before tonight's seven inning start, so 204 right. innings. Yeah. So yeah, no, it, it's uh, let's see. I'm just going back through, like the guys who have won recent ones. Yeah, Scherzer, and his back-to-back was 228, 202 thirds. Arietta won one recently. He uh, 229 innings that year. Kershaw, I assume, and every one of his has been uh, okay. 2014 Kershaw was 198 and a third. So but somebody that, has but failed to sniffing. get a few. That's sniffing 200. Right, and he had a 1.77 ERA with a, again, we don't care about this, but people do, 21-3 and three record. <laughs> yeah. Um, Dickey, Dickey was 233 in his Cy Young year for the Mets. Um, we should also mention that DeGrom finished the season with 23 consecutive scoreless innings. Yeah, oh, he couldn't have gone out any better. And and Roy Halladay, um, 250 and two-thirds innings. So you, you look back, uh, and it's kind of crazy that going back to 2010, there have been uh, not that many unique winners. Scherzer's got two, Kershaw has three, and then Arietta, Halladay, and Dickey each have one, uh, plus, of course, DeGrom. So, yeah, I know we're biased, but... <laughs> It's just got to go that way. It, if it's if it was close, if they were five to ten innings apart and nobody got to two hundred, then I'd say it might be a pretty split vote, and it could go either way. But I, I just think the combination of quality and quantity uh, hasn't been surpassed. And if the Giants surprise everybody and and put reuse ERA up a little, then. Uh, then I think it's it's over. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. And then the other, you know, big thing to root for the last four games of the season is Pete Alonso. Pete Alonso, you know, hit his 51st home run tonight. He is one behind uh, Aaron Judge for the all-time rookie record. He, is a, he already holds a National League record. And as much fun as it would be to see him tie Judge... I think we're all rooting for him to beat Judge. He has four games to do so. Four games where he more than likely will not face stellar starting pitching. And so you know, and anything's possible for DeGron- for uh excuse me, Alonso at this point. And it just seems like while there are other very good rookies this year, the combination of the flash of the home runs, the the record setting uh, performance, the home run derby. It seems like for the casual baseball viewer, it has to be it has to be Alonso. And I think sometimes the writers are more interested in the story than the stats. And if that's the case, he's definitely the story as well. Oh yeah, yeah. No, he's. Uh, what more could you want? <laughs> yeah. Um. Do you have a particular favorite Pete Alonso moment? 
in the season? Um, so I feel like we talked about it a little bit. I forget whether it was on the show or not. Um, in the middle of the season, like when did he know he was for real? And, and my first reaction was the home run in Miami. And then somebody said like, oh, that was his first one. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Didn't remember it that way, but it was just that, that Gary Cohen, uh, I think Gary Cohen, one of his best assets is that he has a really good threshold of when to be blown away. Yes. I think the Bartolo Cologne, it has happened. Uh, <laughs> call sort of, defines that that quality in him um and i i like that because you don't want an announcer who gets overly giddy now i'm just praising gary instead of pete here but um no but, I, I actually have this, this conversation all the time that whenever matt vaskersian calls a game every right. home run is like the best home run that's ever been hit in the history of baseball yeah and it takes away from that well and the funny thing with vaskersian is that I think the first time I heard him was a video game. It was probably the show, right? I think. Um, and he's so perfect for that because in the video game, although at this point uh, it's been a couple of years since I bought, uh, you know, the current edition of the show, uh, you might be able to build in more emotional int- intelligence into the broadcast of a video game, but. Video games as I have known them for the whole time they've had announcers, he's perfect because the video game announcer thinks every home run matters. Right, exactly. The same. Like, oh, wow, it's a home run. You know. (laughs) So, uh, anyway, sorry. Gary's threshold for for being floored is, is just right. And he was by that Alonzo home run. Uh, But... I don't know. I don't know if that first one that that was like announcing his arrival. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, the my best moment uh, personally might have been when he tweeted out the "You fans are great, and we're going to do this thing," and ends it with "LFGM." I mean, he he established a new thing that caught on and live free gummits. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's what Nimmo says it means. <laughs> Oh, oh, he does. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's pretty good. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Yeah, I, I that think might be he, it. it uh, that just kind of was a moment that he put himself out there and then lived up to it. Yeah, I think that that's definitely a good call. I think for me, you know, it's funny talking about Gary Cohen's threshold for, for you know, going going crazy. I, I think Keith Hernandez has a similar threshold. Where, where, where Keith is sort of the grizzled old uh, old broadcaster and doesn't get all that crazy for anything. Did you see the shot of Keith in the booth after the 50th home run? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so Alonzo hits this down and away pitch, a beautiful pitch. He hits it 440 feet the opposite way. And Keith Hernandez gave Gary this look that was like, are you fucking watching this? And he pointed out to where the ball was landing. And it was just this it was just this wonderful moment of oh, e- even Keith can't believe this. The Keith is on board with this insanity. And it just shows you that Alonso is so impressive that he's blowing everybody away. It's not just fans who want to be blown away by their new young player. It's it's the broadcaster who doesn't recognize there's a camera on him 
looking looking like he's never seen something like this before. You know, that's that's special. That's fun. Yeah. Well, yeah. it is a good thing and and I don't want to say we're spoiled because Yankees fans are spoiled, Red Sox fans are spoiled at this point. Um several other teams have had it a whole lot better as teams, but we have been fortunate to have uh obviously the broadcasters that the Mets have had for the last decade plus. Uh and we've been fortunate that in a lot of these seasons that went nowhere, especially the recent ones, um there have been individual achievements. So, you know, whether it was Dickey, I don't want to celebrate too much the Reyes batting title, but it was a thing. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it, in the moment, at the time, that version of Jose Reyes, that was still, it would, it was a personal accomplishment um, to follow and, and to be into. Uh, but the DeGrom, Cy Young seasons, I'll, I'll say, um, those are things, and then obviously Alonzo, who we were just talking about, but to get that kind of stuff, it's nice. I mean, it is. At least they're not the Marlins, you know? <laughs> yep. Well, you know, we'll, we'll talk more about the season in review next week. And, yeah. you know, we'll get into that a little bit more. But real quickly, because by the time we get together again, the playoffs will have already started. Do you have a rooting interest in the playoffs this year? Uh, well, I've got my cousin, the Twins fan, and it would be nice to see them do some damage in the playoffs. Uh, but other than that, it's it's more pessimistic uh, or, or negative, I guess. Not pessimistic. Negative is the more appropriate word. I just want the Nationals to lose the wild card game. Yes. I want the I want the Braves to not win the World Series and I want the Yankees to not win the World Series. That's not so hard, is it? <laughs> I don't you know, maybe this makes me a bad Mets fan. I don't even care about the Yankees that much right now. If the Yankees won the World Series, I wouldn't be that upset. Yeah. I just think I, this I, is this is a Yankee team that is way less hateable. Than previous Yankee teams. Yeah, no, I, I get that, but I'm still gonna be a hater right now. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. Um, you earned it. Well, thanks. Yeah, I, I mean the Astros have already gotten their title, so I guess on the American League side, the, I mean the Astros again wouldn't really it wouldn't upset me. Um, but it'd be nice to see the Twins do it, and it would be nice to see. Either uh, Oakland or Tampa do it, even even though I think we've reached a point that idolizing the cheap teams is something that is frowned upon instead of uh, admirable for more people, which is which is the right way for things to go, given the money that's in baseball right now. But, hey, I'll, I'm a sucker for it a little bit still. So the Twins A's and Rays on that side... They would all be good stories. Uh, obviously, Cleveland's still around and could end up in that wild card game. Uh, and then on the National League side, I mean, nobody really likes the Dodgers, but whatever. You know, Kershaw's there, and 
Utley's gone. Utley's gone. That's the big one. And then, I mean, if you really start getting down to it, uh, like, all right, enough of the Cardinals, but do I really hate this version of the Cardinals in particular? Not, not really. Um, and the Brewers, hey, they earned it. Yes, uh, it, really it'll be, be weird to see them make that run without Yelich, but I, I, I wouldn't have any real issue with it. So, yeah. What about you? Any any team? I'm not, like, in love with any team, but... No. Uh, I mean, the A's, Twins, and Rays are my choice. Um, with, the, with the nod going to the A's, I, I've been a... Uh, I don't want to say a Rays... An, an A's fan. That's... That is overselling it completely, but I have I have long liked the A's. Um, even going back to when I was a kid, for some reason I always rooted for the A's. I I think I had a um, what game was that? It was Roger Clemens MVP baseball for the Sega Genesis, and all the teams were the city, but not the actual. They couldn't say the Athletics or whatever. And for some reason, the Oakland team was always my team in that game. Uh, so ever since then. As a young lad of ten or eleven, whatever it was, I have I've rooted for the A's when they weren't playing the Mets, and like you said, you know, rooting for the the uh, the cheap teams is not necessarily the best of looks, and I am I am aware of that, but I do it as part of a uh, just a a goal that the Will Ponds can see that it's possible, and will run their team better. But what I should be rooting for is for the Yankees to win, so the Wilpons see they have to spend money to win. Um, but regardless, uh, yeah, I, I'm there's no National League team that would really make me happy winning, but I think the Brewers are the closest that that I can get to being okay. Um, you know, especially because one of my really good friends is a Brewers fan, and so you know I'm not going to root against my friend, so. Yeah, that's that. Um, ready for some music picks? Sure, yeah. What are you going for the re- us this week? Well, the, uh, I think it's a repeat band <clears throat> in terms of recommendations, but um, musically what has sort of been on my mind. Uh, so we saw King Crimson at Radio City on Saturday night. Uh, it was my second time seeing them and my wife's first time seeing them. It was an excellent show. Um like took them to another level uh, for me personally. And at that show, we were among the youngest people in the crowd, unsurprisingly. But at other shows, we are among the older contingent (laughs) of the crowd. Sure. Uh, And, you know, we're 35. We're not that old. Uh, But we we go to shows where the crowd is definitely 90% younger than us. Uh, so connecting that like like that concept of music is sort of what I was feeling right now that that bridge between a band that's been around fifty years like King Crimson and bands that have been around uh, a shorter time and loving both of those things. Um, Claypool, Lennon, Delirium. I think I had recommended their record that came out this year months ago on the show. Um, they had put out. Uh, an EP, Lime and Limpid Green, uh, named for the Pink Floyd lyrics that open 
the the EP. It's just four songs. Uh, they're covers, but one of them is the Court of the Crimson King, the King Crimson song, which you may have figured out even if you didn't know it. <laughs> so I'll, I'll recommend that EP because I think they did it really well. Uh, Les Claypool is, is one of the greats, and the combination of him and then John Lennon's and Yoko Ono's son uh, doing these classic rock, uh, you know, covers. Uh, just kind of a cool blend. And they did a really good job of it. And when we have seen them uh, live, Lennon Claypool, that is, or Claypool Lennon, sorry. Um, they've, they've usually played at least two of them. Uh, so, yeah, as, as the bridge between the new and the old, the old and the new, uh, I feel like Game of Thrones probably has some lines in there somewhere that would fit perfectly for this, but that is my recommendation. Claypool, Lennon, Delirium, Lime, and Limpid Green. That's an excellent choice. Um, well, thank you. How I, about you? Well, so I, I'm trying to figure out how to pronounce the name of the person that I am uh, that I'm going to recommend. Um, let's see. Okay, I got this now. So, um, one of the things that I do all the time is when I'm on when I hear somebody talk about something, I will add it to my Spotify. Like I'll, I'll bookmark the album to go back and listen to later. And I don't know where I heard of this recently, but I was reading something or listening to something, and somebody mentioned a classical piece called Quartet for the End of Time. And I was like, oh, wow, that's a, that's a powerful title. And it's by a, a French composer named Oliver, I believe it's Messian, M-E-S-S-I-A-E-N. We'll call it Messian for now. And I just I love the title of it, so I bookmarked it, and I didn't listen to it. I don't know when I bookmarked it versus when I actually sat down and listened to it, but I, I listened to it. And I was very moved by it, so I started to read about it. And Messian was in the French army during World War II and was captured by German soldiers, and he wrote this quartet on paper and a pen that was snuck into him by a sympathetic guard. And then this was performed for the first time in a German prisoner of war camp where they brought in instruments because there were there were other musicians who were serving in the army who were captured. So there was a clarinet player, a uh, I believe a cello player, a violinist, and then Messian played the piano. So they brought these instruments in to the camp and played these songs um, in, in, you know, in captivity. And then the same guard that had helped them get in, uh, get, get get the paper and the instruments in, um, he forged papers with a stamp he made from a potato and oh, got, wow. got these performers to be liberated shortly after they finished the first performance of this. Um, the guard's name, last name was Bruhl, and years after the war, Bruhl made a trip to see Messian but Messian wouldn't see him. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know exactly why. There's actually a book about this that I want to read now, but I don't know if it was that Messian felt like, you know, even though he helped him, he was still a Nazi, 
so he wouldn't see him. If he felt it would be too emotional to see this guard, I don't know what the reason is, but it's this it, it's this really beautiful eight piece, you know, suite of music. Um, and I think when you know that story, it's it's even more incredible. So, and, and as I've said in the past, I'm trying to pick less white guys playing guitar for my picks. So this is still a white guy, but it's a dead white guy. So that's progress. And it's a classical composer. <laughs> so uh, Oliver Messian quartet for the end of time. That's my pick this week. All right. Bet you didn't see that one coming. No, no, no. That was not. Uh, <laughs> that That is new. That is totally new to me. Well, that's good. So anyway, uh, we are going to be doing a regular show next week and, and probably the week after, but then we are going to slip into some sort of off season uh, routine. I think maybe we'll be doing every other week with this show, something like that. But you know, uh, let me take this time to say thank you for listening to us. This is the first season we've done the show in this manner with the different, uh, different shows every day of the week. And I've had a lot of fun with it. And I know I, I speak for all of us when we say it's been a, a huge success. And, uh, so thank you to all my fellow podcasters and our fellow podcasters, and uh, yeah, we'll be around. You'll be sick of us by the end of the offseason. You'll be happy baseball's coming back, as will we all. Um, but until then, please go to AmazingAvenue.com. We're going to be reviewing this season, looking forward to free agents, hanging out, making game threads for postseason games. There'll be lots going on in the offseason, so don't forget about Amazing Avenue, who you can also find on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. You can get this show from Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, your podcatcher of choice, wherever you get podcasts, you can find it. Please rate, review, and subscribe. And, uh, yeah, we appreciate that very much. It helps bring some extra people to the show when you do those things. Um, and uh, you can email us, aaaudiopodcast at gmail.com. Especially in the off-season, emails are greatly appreciated. And you can follow Chris on Twitter, at Chris McShane. I am at Brian Needs a Nap. And uh, on behalf of everyone out there, Thank you, Mets, for making this last couple of uh, weeks more interesting than I had any business. Until, until next time, 